Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Tonight, I have two guests with me. This is a first uh, for me, but I think it's going to be super fun. Uh, I have... uh, Amanda McCoy Flanagan, who is an author and then the co-host of her podcast, Soul Rising, Ginny Oliva Smith. Um, Welcome both to the Sober by Design podcast. This is going to be, again, new for me. We'll figure it out. Um, For my listeners, typically we do an intro of of the guest and how they grew up and where they grew up and and kind of what led them to their uh, substance of choice. So we're going to kind of do it, I guess, in a truncated fashion or a joint fashion we'll see how it all flows so i don't know who wants to start out um amanda if you want to go jenny how who's who's uh who's up for telling today the story first seven year anniversary so why don't you yeah today is my seven year anniversary seven year anniversary congrats that's awesome thank you so much to the date thank you first off thank you so much Corey, for having us yeah. on your show this is such important work that you're doing out there. There's a lot of us that are wandering around the world, either in recovery or searching for a way, searching for an answer, or, you know, just still in the throes of addiction. Yeah. So this is amazing um, that you are doing this work. Thank you so much for being out in the world, doing it and for inviting us to join you in that. Um, yeah. Today was a pretty emotional, impactful day. Uh, it was- uh-oh. Uh-oh. day of not having alcohol in my system. Um, I was in a rehab, waking up with a hangover. I went into the rehab, still drink, you know, drunk. <laughs> so um, it's a miracle. It's a complete and total miracle that um, I'm alive today, along with many of us, right? It's amazing what kind of hold um, for me in particular, it's alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I'm sure. I mean, I think I'm just as addicted to caffeine, just as addicted to chaos, just as addicted to so many things, right? That we can be as alcoholics and recovering alcoholics. Um, So yeah, today's a really cool, amazing, very impactful day for me because I remember waking up and going to my first um, 12-step recovery meeting in that rehab and just really not having any understanding of how any of these people in that room weren't drinking. (laughs) So to hear that someone had done it for two years or even five days, you know, that sounded like a miracle at that time to me. So to be here today in just a completely um, different part of my life, you know, it's, it's definitely has me reflecting with a lot of gratitude. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, especially I come from a long line of addiction. I have, you know, on my mom's side, my mom has been addicted to opiate medication for the better part of my life since I was probably four or five. Mm -hmm. My father is, you know, he comes from that lineage too of kind of functioning alcoholic. My grandfather on my mom's side, alcoholic. Um, Irish and Hispanic is my background. And we've just got this long line of professional alcoholics, as I tell people. <laughs> yeah. I come from the pros. <laughs> I thought I came from the pros. You yeah, I think you might, but you're Italian and Irish. Yeah, I think we both have like super gold medal winning. So, Ginny, where, where did you grow up exactly? I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. Um, I moved there. I was born in El Paso, Texas. Um, but I, for the better part of growing up, grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And then you moved to Texas. Is that? Um, no, I was born in Texas. Oh, okay. My dad, um, was in the military and he was out at Fort Bliss. So I was born in El Paso, Texas. And then we moved to New Mexico when I was about seven. And I was there until I was 19 years old when I took off to Hollywood, California to do all the fun, big things. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, um, yeah, that's I grew a good... up, you know, my parents go ahead. I'm so no, sorry. I was going to say that's a, that's a, a good, uh, segue to probably when things got a little bit crazy. Right. Or is that, um, you know, it's funny because in looking back at all of it, I mean, things I definitely had, I had my extra, I, I started definitely building upon my drinking career. I think when I lived in Hollywood, California, um, because it wasn't just alcohol that was around and, and just the element of all of us who were there, lots of artists, lots of people searching, lots of people um, looking to either accomplish something right about ourselves or or chase this, this dream. So lots of alcohol, lots of cocaine, lots of ecstasy, lots of acid, lots of mushrooms, all the things, you know, there that just were normal um, for a bunch of creative people, I think, and just industry and people coming from all over the place. So I definitely started to build a, a big foundation, I think, of my partying. But I did not think I had a problem at that time. Um, I did not realize till many years later that I actually had a problem um, with alcohol. But looking back at it, I never drank. I never drank normally. I wasn't the person who had a couple of drinks and it was like, oh, okay, fine. This is great. I always drank um, to get a head change and to manage the anxiety, you know, mm. that I might be living in. Um, better. <laughs> All the things when I was drinking, um, it took that sense of my guard down. So yeah, it wasn't until um, later on in my life after my second child and about a postpartum depression and a few other things that that little journey had escalated to the point where I finally realized I had a problem because it wasn't for fun anymore. I drank alone and I drank in a way that I hit it and I drank to manage um, pain hmm. and I drank to manage anxiety and this postpartum depression that I didn't even realize I was having. It kind of just kicked things in for me. Yeah. Did yeah. you did you have um, postpartum depression with your first child or just your second? Looking I back? don't believe I did. I don't believe I did with my first child. And I didn't even realize, quite honestly, it, it took a little bit for me to realize that's what was going on even after my second child. But I don't, I didn't experience it that same way 
Um, and I was a little older, you know, having my kids, 35 and 37. Okay. Um, with our daughter, yeah, I was fine. Um, I think maybe having a two and a half year old toddler, then having a baby, uh, and then jumping back into work at 12 weeks and working full time, um, mm-hmm. along with having this new found heaviness, which like I said, I think I, I later realized it was postpartum. I had my my post you know, my, my gynecologist who thought it'd be a great idea to put me on a medication, a, you know, a, a basically gave me an antidepressant. Um, and it wasn't the correct one. <laughs> they had me on one that was not great. And that is kind of where I remember my drinking, where it went from like, oh, we're having a glass of wine to like, I'm going to drink some vodka to calm my nerves down because I feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin. So yeah, it was, yeah, one of those situations where I know for myself now I'm I am wired alcoholic that there's just no way around that the same way, you know, I have the same color eyes as my grandfather. I also have the alcoholism that was in his genes. Um, so it could have been at any point. I think I, I know now for me, um, for me, it was just the exhaustion, the postpartum and drinking while on psychiatric medication, which is a terrible idea for anyone ever. Um, yes. I think that that just kicked things in to a really, um, to that dark spot. I crossed that bridge where I was drinking daily at that point okay. and it was just to survive. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think sometimes when people, <clears throat> um, and this isn't like spilling any information that, that wasn't on the podcast already. My wife was on my first episode and she su- suffered from postpartum depression too, pretty bad oh, wow. with our first uh, child. And, um, yeah. like I don't think she understood what was happening as it was going on, right? Like I could see it clearly, but she couldn't. And it was just a very weird sort of period of time um, that kind of extended for, I don't know, well well over a year probably, um, maybe more. And um, it's just very challenging. And, and, you know, then you couple that again with like being a new parent and not sleeping and it Mm -hmm. just, and then if you're drinking, and I was the person drinking through that period. So you were also drinking through it too, which is probably like even worse. Um, it's a, it, it can be devastating. So, um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially, and man, that's, yeah, kudos to you and your wife for talking about that um, on your show because I don't think enough people do. I think um, it's not something we talk about enough. Like had I had any conversations with any of my friends or had anyone really been, really frank and honest with me about some of the times maybe they had gone through it. I may not have been so disoriented. Like you're talking about the feeling, just not really knowing what it is that's going on. Um, You can't really explain it. You're not really sure. So kudos to you guys for sharing that part of your journey because it's definitely not, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to navigate. No. Especially no idea it, it, it's definitely not easy to navigate. And I think what happens is that people, you know, you can, you talk to the other people in your life and they're like, Oh, you're just a new parent. It's tough. Right. Right. And, and sort of, they like sort of dismiss it a little bit. And then you kind of go back home and you're like, Oh, are we being, am I being too much? Right. Am I taking, you know, am I seeing this wrong? And you know, those were the conversations that we had for over a year 
probably with people in our lives, friends, family, and like it just kind of got swept under the rug as like your new parents and a baby is just a baby and you got to deal with it. And that's not okay. I think people need to be able to express that and, and have other people in their life hear it. Um, and I think more so now you see that, but it took a while. It took a while and I think people are still learning. So, um, I agree. Yeah. And it's, it's in ways like this, right? Where we all, those of us that go through these different situations in our life where we can come, I think it's a whole idea of what we're all doing right now. If we can be vulnerable and share whatever the experience is that we're going through in venues like this on these podcasts where people are out there listening, people can understand that a, they're not alone. Yep. Um, in whatever the situation might be in that, um, B there's hope at the end of that, regardless of what it is. I know a lot of us with addiction challenges share so many of the same journey experiences. Like, you know, you, you hear so many of the same things. So to know that you're not alone in the world and that you can be heard and that someone, um, can be on that other side and say, Hey, I've walked this really terrifying path and here's what helped us. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it's so critical right now it's huge yeah and and when you're going through it you do feel very like unique and special and you know like mm -hmm. it's you're the only person that's ever had this happen and it just mm -hmm. it's not true um even though it feels very true to you at that moment in time and i think yeah. that is the the beauty of like sharing your story mm -hmm. uh, getting out there and talking to others like I, I really feel like that's that's an important thing so um yeah uh that's a so you went to did you go to rehab right at that moment in time um no, no? my okay. son was a year and a half old actually by the time i finally made it to that point because as it is very right uh cunning baffling and powerful right i did not i didn't realize how quickly that undertow was pulling me under um because it started with well, I'm having this extra anxiety because I'm on a wrong medication and I'm not mm. sleeping on top of that. Oh, I had a glass of wine. So this is probably even making the situation worse. It was, you know, all of a sudden one day where I realized like it's 10 AM, but I know that if I can get alcohol in my system, I'm going to feel like it's going to stop me for a little while from feeling like I want to have a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I recognized it one day, you know, just like ready to go to work. Like, well, what's the big deal? I'm going to a happy hour at one. You know, so what's the big deal if I take a shot now? So from a point like that, where it takes a full year, where all of a sudden I'm doing that every day, and now it's not, it's not one shooter, it's five, you know, and it was this progression. So it did not happen immediately, not at all. Yeah. It took a while, and it took me digging a really deep hole for myself. <laughs> okay. And um, yeah, really walking around, still still working driving um doing things you know functioning it's quite say functioning you know in quotes and air quotes until i wasn't yeah so that didn't happen overnight um but it did happen quick for me to go from point a to suddenly i'm drinking every day it was about a year's time that's all it took for things to really take a, a downward spiral for hmm. me so it took a little bit okay yeah well let's get Amanda in here and find out a little bit about Amanda and have Amanda catch up to your part of the yeah. story and then see maybe where you two collided too because I'm guessing that you collided before yeah. your podcast but I don't know so we'll find that information out too hi hey um sorry I coughed I, muted right. my microphone. I didn't realize I got to mute this but sorry Jenny 
Um, so hi, I'm Amanda McCoy Flanagan. I grew up in Oceanside, New York, the South shore of Long Island, Nassau County. Um, I was there for 35 years until I moved to Colorado. So I went to um, college in, at uh, SUNY Albany. So I went to College of State, New York. Um, and then I, um, after college, I moved back home for a bit. Then I moved to Brooklyn, lived there for a couple of years. That's sort of where the, the party really kind of, uh, it didn't get started. It, it actually ended, um, like coming to the end. It like really kind of climaxed, I guess, at that point is, is, is where what I'm trying to say. Um, then I moved back to New York, uh, back to Long Island um, after that, after Brooklyn. And then um, I, so I was American and I moved to Long Beach, New York. I was there for eight years. Um, we got hit with Hurricane Sandy and I thought maybe it was a good idea to get off the coast. Um, and lo and behold, we moved out to Castle Rock, Colorado. Um, and that was quite the adjustment. Um, I, at that point, I was sober nine years. Um, I've had three major emotional breakdowns in my recovery that I have not had to drink over. Um, the first one was when I was eight months sober. Um, my boyfriend in recovery died. He didn't wake up on Easter Sunday. And that took me to my knees. The second one was when I moved out here. And the third one was when my brother died from an overdose five years ago. Mm. Um, like I said, I did not have to drink over any of those. Um, I uh, hurt myself and in other ways, relationship wise, and just the chaos creating and all that. Um, that speaks to my, I say that because it speaks to my, my childhood, because the reason why my childhood is important to my story is that I kind of grew up with um, the idea that that love wasn't safe, that people weren't safe, that I couldn't trust really anybody around me. Um, I had a couple of sexual traumas when I was five and seven years old. Um, and I call them trauma. I don't call them abuse because it, it, uh, on the on the spectrum, I believe there's a spectrum of sexual trauma, abuse, just like this, like a spectrum of grief, right? Mm -hmm. Like I lost my brother. I wouldn't put myself in the same category as somebody lost a child. What happened to me, I wouldn't put myself in the same category as being raped by a family member or something like that, right? So it was a trauma to me. Anyway, um, then my father was cheating on my mom with her best friend when I was 16 years old. And um, she figured that out. She also was diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time, um, confronted him, and uh, they tried to work on it. Um, but it just was never the same. And he wound up leaving five years later. Um, I was 21. Okay. And that that is where my drinking really picked up. Um, I could see my timeline. I could see different different places throughout throughout my childhood. I started drinking when I was 13. I feel like that's like the magic, the magic number. I started drinking when I was 13. My brother was three and a half years older than me. Um, I grew up with um, all older cousins. I was always the youngest by quite quite a bit. And me and my brother Jeremy were quite a bit younger. Mm -hmm. My mom was the youngest of her of her siblings by 11 years. So she was nine years and 11. Anyway, I was always the young one. So I was always the one trying to tag along, you know, growing up on the block with all the kids. Everybody was older. I never felt like I fit in. I always felt like I was trying to like hustle to be like cool. I got the hand-me-down clothes, you know, stuff like that. I just always felt like little Amanda is here and she's annoying. Mm -hmm. right? I always felt like I was like this annoying kind of fly on the wall that nobody wanted around. Um, and, you know, to nobody's 
fault. I think I think a lot of what I went through was natural sort of um, some things were unnatural, but for the majority of it, I, I believe that my soul just came into the world needing to learn certain lessons and that the things that had, had happened or that I went through were common to a lot of other people. But for whatever reason, I could not cope with. I did not have the tools. I didn't have the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot about generational dysfunction and the work that I do. Um, I believe that my parents did not have the skills and the tools. Um, they were not handed down to them, so they didn't know how to hand them to me. And that's just the nature of, you know, I'm just trying to do it differently because I was born in 1980. I said, yeah. it's the only difference, right. right? Like I have access to what I call the, the you know, uh, evolution of consciousness that's going on right now when people are waking up and uh, we're questioning things and we're learning how to do things differently. We've seen the effects, right? the alcoholism and addiction, the suicide, the mental illness. And we have to look back and say, well, well, what happened when we were kids? What happened in those years? Um, and I do not like to blame. I never put any blame on the generations past. It's just how it was. It's just, to, I believe it's just how it was. There, Of course, there were some people that were, um, I guess, maybe a little bit progressive or ahead of their time and were doing things differently, for sure. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, therapy wasn't, like a thing, you know, it was still very stigmatized and you didn't talk about your problems. You didn't, you know, you kind of just pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and just, just did what you had to do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and we're not doing it that way anymore. A lot of us, a lot of us are doing it differently, which I'm really grateful for. But so I think my childhood kind of played, you know, def- definitely played a part. I remember, you know, I think it was in eighth grade the first time I actually got drunk. It wasn't the first time I drank, but it was the first time I got drunk. And um, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, and I was, I was feeling sick, you know, and the mm-hmm. room was spinning and I was had one leg off the couch on the floor to kind of steady myself. And I loved it. And I couldn't wait to do it again. Yeah. And it never mattered to me how sick I got. You know, it never, it never mattered. It was like, okay, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, I feel like garbage. But then Wednesday, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. And Thursday, I'm planning Friday. I was pretty much a weekend warrior. And once I started, I didn't stop Hmm. until it was gone, until I couldn't get my hands on anything else. Um, And just because of, I was younger, right? When I started like 13, 14, 15, like I remember being 15 years old, going home, at my curfew, whatever it was, 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And, you know, I'd go to my kitchen table. I was always, and when I was 17, I got my license. I was always a, the designated drunk driver, right? So I would mm-hmm. go home to have my curfew. I'd be drunk already. I'd sit down at my kitchen table. Uh, I'd make myself a sandwich. I would light a cigarette off the stove. I was like having a whole party, like to party for one in my, you know, parents' kitchen mm-hmm. when I was in high school. Crack open their liquor cabinet, pull out the wild turkey. I don't know. I started with gin. I started with array and that's what, because that's what they had, but gin just made me nuts. And then I went to the wild turkey and that also <laughs> made me crazy. And then I tried to go to vodka and then eventually I ended with wine. You know, okay. beer was kind of always there, yeah. but um, ended with wine. Maybe I thought it was classier and I figured I, I can't handle the hard liquor, but I mean, wine probably I think has more percentage of alcohol yeah. than some of some hard liquor. So um, yeah, it was just a feeling of uh, whenever I would get drunk, I just felt, you know, it was like, you know, smarter, prettier, funnier. I felt like I fit in. I just I just felt like I 
maybe was in control of something, even when I was out of control. Um, and again, I just I wanted to be like the bigger kids. I wanted to be like my brother. Me and my friends would put backpacks on, full of beer and walk around Oceanside and go to all the keg parties and blizzards and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we just wanted to be like the older kids. And I have an allergy. You know, my friends could drink. I remember my brother brought us like a six pack and there were like a few of us drinking. And one of them, like, I thought I should get like more because my brother bought them. That was number one. Like, that was kind of clue number one. And then I, I saw one of my friends like emptying it out, like behind her. Like she didn't want us to see that she wasn't drinking it. And I caught it and I was like, what are you doing? No, I'll drink that. And you don't, what are you doing? You know, like mm -hmm. from the get go, it was for effect. Like Jenny said, like I never drank just to like have fun. I mean, I guess it was somewhere to have fun, but I always knew, you know, that I just, I wanted to get messed up. I wanted to be out of my head. I blacked out a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I just, that was my ultimate goal was just to be obliterated out of my skin in good times and in bad times, right? I don't drink because things are bad. I drink because I'm an alcoholic. So I just always want to escape and get out of myself. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much, I think how my childhood kind of maybe played in a little bit into why I felt the need to not be little annoying Amanda and somebody else. And when, when did you, um, there was like a lot in there. So there's a couple of things that I definitely want to touch on, but so you, you continued on drinking for a while, um, from, you said it got bad at 21 with the, the sort of the news of your, your parents and your mom's breast cancer and your dad's cheating. Um, so from 21 till when did you decide that it was too much? I got sober at 26. Okay. So five years of just hard, like super. Well, yeah, yeah. I would probably started like hard, like where it was pretty out of control was probably 16 or 17, but then 21 just like went over the edge. There was a lot of, I started doing drugs in high school. I was doing cocaine and ecstasy when I was a senior in high school or ecstasy in 11th grade, cocaine in 12th grade. And then at 21, I just, my dad wasn't there anymore. Yeah. So you know, I could come home at seven o'clock in the morning. And although my mom, you know, was yelling and screaming and, you know, my brother also was out of control too. You have to remember my brother was still alive. So yeah. he was, I was 21 and he was 24 and we were both lunatics. So like we would come home and my mom would be like freaking out, but my dad wasn't there and we were more afraid of my dad. Yeah. So my dad was the one that would kick me out, which he did a couple of times. So I feel like, and then the, with the more freedom I got, you know, I'm in college, and then after college, I'm living on my own, you know, just the, the less control I was under, the, the worse it got. Yeah. It's, uh, it is crazy how it kind of hooks into you. And, um, some people, like you said, your friend could pour out a beer and you would look at that, like, why, why are you doing that? I'll finish that. Right. Like you needed more and more and more. And that was just the way it was from the moment you started probably um that's how it was for me too i you know like looking back i know it in the moment had no clue right it just you're doing it and you think it's normal and again it's just this is what it is um this is how everybody drinks um because you didn't know any better and you had probably m some modeling that you were following again older brothers older cousin you know your folks like you, you mentioned you know you didn't see how to do things um, because of the generations before you. And I think that that's a huge um, part of why some of us fall into it. Um, you know, that you were saying like older generations didn't go to therapy. It, it cracks me up because there's people in my life now that I think who are older that definitely need therapy still. Mm -hmm. And if you bring it up, they're like, why would I do that? 
Yeah. It's like, I don't I'm know. Yeah, exactly. They think like you have to be crazy. I think every single human being on the planet should be in therapy. Yeah. Whether, 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 you, whether you think you have life figured out, because nobody does, but whether things are going well for you or not, right. you should be speaking to an objective party because most of the people in our life are not objective. No. Right? They're friends, they're family, they care about us. Yeah. It's very difficult to find people who are going to just completely just look at it objectively and give you the straight the straight dope, right? They're just yeah. going to tell you exactly how it is without caring too much about what you're going to think or say or react or get mad or whatever. Yeah. Or they'll say like, you know, I, I've, I've known some people who are a little bit, you know, again, older than myself. And they'll say like, oh, I went to therapy like twice. I'm good. Like I got it. And it's like, no, you don't, you don't have it. Like there's yeah. no way you have it. Like <laughs> At least you know. here, say. <laughs> um, I always tell my husband that I, I feel like we should be in a way where the same way we have to go to the dentist at least twice a year that we should have we should be in a in a habit of going to speak to somebody objectively about our mental health yeah. at least at a minimum right twice yeah. a year i think oh, it, yeah. i think it's super healthy um you know it's it's like uh and and then you know i've i brought it up on the show it's like going is one thing but then coming home and doing the stuff is is a whole nother thing part of therapy that i think sometimes people also miss like you know, you can go and you can talk and you can just kind of let everything out and they normally give you some feedback. And if you don't take that feedback and put it to use, you kind of have missed the boat too. So, um, you know, I'm a fan of both parts of the therapy model. Um, so there was a lot there. Um, so you both were on these journeys. Uh, you're, you know, you guys collided at some point. And when did this happen? Cause that's no, I don't even know like the exact year. I really can't even know. I can't remember exactly. 2018 was it before we did friends when Jeremy died? Well, we were we were like acquaintances. We were acquaintances. Yes, I I don't think, but it was probably around. Well, we we moved here in March of 2018. Oh, okay. So and that's when Jeremy died. So exactly. yeah, we met in the rooms. Okay. You know. Yes. I'm not going to say what program out of respect for anonymity, sure. but yes, pick up what I'm putting down. Mm. And um, we, um, you know, we're, we're friendly there, but we weren't there a lot together. But then we went to the same church. Yes. So, and we like to always say we're not, you know, religious. We're more spiritual, the both of us, like our show and all the work that we do. We're, we're very, you know, higher power, spirit of the universe, you know, uh, just loving kindness, force of energy, stuff like that. But anyway, yeah, so we met at, at more at church and then we'd see each other around the rooms. And um, yeah, and then it was really, I guess, during COVID, we got a little bit closer and then we, we met up like right after COVID was like coming to an end, I guess, like in early 2021, I had just started writing my book and we were talking one day, we were out to lunch and Ginny was like, guess what I did last night? I went on this, this, this app called Anchor and I just like made a podcast. She's like, listen to this, this crazy trailer. Listen to so, this. It was so funny. So it was great. Okay. So you guys, I, I I don't know. For some reason in my head, I had you pegged as like you knew each other like back, like prior. No. So you no, only you know so. the new. Everyone says that. You have think... like the recovered versions of each other. You don't know the prior versions fully. No, okay. definitely know each other. Yeah. Ginny and I are those, yes. you know, you meet people in life where you feel like you've either had a past life or like you just have some kind of soul connection. Like we are definitely connected on a much higher level 
So once we actually like had the time and took the time to like really connect and talk on the phone and like, it was like instant, like right from there. Yes. And, and then, and then, you know, we were like, Oh, we should do a podcast someday. And then it kind of like faded and whatever I was in my writing and stuff like that. And then, and I was like, and I contacted her every day and I'm like, Hey, were you serious about wanting to do that podcast? Because I really want to do a podcast and I want you to be my partner. Like I can't think of anybody else that I would want to sit around because and have these conversations with, because if you, I don't know if you've listened to our show, but like when we get going, we just we get going. Like we, like we, she says something and then like, it sparks something or makes sense for me. And then like, I'll say something. And then, I mean, that's, it's, it sounds just like a regular conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, things just come together and make sense and, and just come up. Things just come up randomly that I think are, are worthwhile for people to hear. Okay. Um, and sometimes I don't even know where it comes from. It's like, where did that come from? Oh, yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> you know? It happens a lot. I think for us too, um, we found such uh, solace and healing space in each other during that time of COVID when, as we all know, all of us were out of sorts and Mm -hmm. just in the weirdest way we could possibly be Um, on top of just the fear, just the situation as it was that, you know, well, can we go, can we go to the store? Can we not? Am I going to die from this? You know, everyone went through that. And then it was, okay, well, we're going to all lock ourselves in our homes and no one's going to see each other. We had all these, you know, stages of that going on and then watching everyone dig their heels in the ground and become more fearful and then become angry at one another. I think, oh, there we go. Are we there? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, um, just Amanda and I were talking a lot about how how much we were observing that and how disturbing it was for us Mm -hmm. that there was all this just extreme separation, even in our own families. And that's kind of how we started digging into these conversations of where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from fear. Okay. Where's the fear come? You know, as we start digging, um, she and I found a lot of healing, I think, even in our own little situation during COVID at that time. And we were just like, you know, that would be great to be able to, we can't be the only ones thinking like this. We can't be the only ones who feel this way. And that's kind of in that sense where we said, wow, let's, we should really, you know, branch off of the blogs that writing based off of her book and her experience of that. And, and just have these conversations. Maybe other people will not feel so alone. We have these conversations in a place where people can join us in the conversation. So that's, that's how soul rising was born. I would say. Okay. Yes. What we do on our show is we, we try to identify all different types of human emotion that serves to connect us to ourselves or disconnect us mm-hmm. and as well others connect and disconnect from others. Um, and it, like what Jenny was explaining, like during COVID, it was just so prevalent, like the division and it's just getting worse. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just getting worse the past few years. Not, <clears throat> nothing has really gotten better. Right. So we, we feel that there's a real strong need for, um, you know, just the, the healing that we've had and that we've experienced and we're still experiencing it. We say it all the time in our show. Yeah. We're not like good. And we're like now telling you what to do. Like we're working through this stuff as we're doing our show and hopefully encouraging you to work through it with us. And, um, and it, it all stems from that desire to bridge people back together because we really feel that healing our own energy inside will help heal the planet. And that's pretty much like the overarching theme of, of my blog and my book and everything is that healing personal pain has the power to heal the world and that the chaos going on out there is due to chaos in here 
Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of sense because we're in this big shift, right? We're going through this big shift right now. So if there's a shift out there, that means that we're being called to make a shift in here. Mm-hmm. And how do we do this, right? We're like one of the first generations that are, and maybe one before us, maybe some people in their 50s, but like, like that are actually eager and like excited and inspired by doing this kind of work within. Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting. I was, there's, I, last night I was talking to somebody, I was at a community event. I'm big on local community. I think it's an important part and it, you know, it kind of ties back to what you're talking about. Like if you can fix yourself, great. I think if you can kind of insert yourself in your local community, that's a great mm-hmm. start, right? So I was talking to a gentleman and he was, um, he was talking about his nieces and nephews and he had seen them for like the first time in four or five years. You know, they hadn't seen each other since COVID and like his family didn't recognize him. And he was kind of taken back by that. And he's like, I just haven't made time. And it was weird. And like this whole disconnect happened and they didn't pick up on each other for four or five years. And I don't think that's totally uncommon right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that when COVID hit, we definitely lost touch with some people in this ho- in our house. And I don't know that we've picked up the ball with those folks, but we've also made new friends and, and you know, things have, have shifted for sure. But your your statement of fixing yourself first, I think is, is so true, right? It's like that idea in a plane, planes going down, take care of yourself first, then you can help the others, right? Like it's the same concept. And I'm, I can only help my, my family here when I'm, you know, sober and healthy and taking care of myself physically, which then helps me mentally and so on and so forth. Um, so definitely the stuff that you're talking about resonates with me. And I think it's super important. Um, you did mention that both of you go to church and you go for spirituality, not the religious part. I've been really playing with that subject over the past couple months now. Um, Mm -hmm. my younger son, this is crazy, but he wants to wear hoop, uh, not hoop earrings. Uh, he wants to wear cross earrings. So mm-hmm. we have told him that if he wants to wear cross earrings, he has to go to church. He can't just wow. wear cross a symbol just right. to wear. It's not a fashion statement, right? It's a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we in my house have struggled with religion for a long time. My mm-hmm. mom was uh, my mom was in recovery for a long time, um, twenty three years, and uh, she got sober in a twelve step program, and. Um, through that found religion again. Uh, I'm guessing that she was brought up religious. I was not. Um, so by the time she got sober, I was 18. I was out of the house. I did not get, I did not catch any of the religion. Like my, my younger brothers got it. I was kind of lucky enough to, I should, I say, I should say lucky enough and I shouldn't say that, but like there was a lot of weirdness around the whole thing. And anyway, mm-hmm. she became a youth pastor, a youth minister, youth minister. I don't know. She led a youth the youth thing at her Catholic church and that was her job. And, uh, she did that for many years. And I think it really, she resonated with our local community. Um, she touched a lot of kids lives, you know, she helped them through trauma and trouble and all sorts of stuff. And I think it was great. Um, and then a couple of years ago she died, uh, suicide, which, you know, kind of probably from a, the Catholic church standpoint, didn't go over all that well. Um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in the service. I don't remember looking back now what I said and what I didn't say inside the church. 
to anybody like her boss, right? Like the priest and all that stuff. Um, but this is all to say that we've struggled with religion uh, here and kind of how much it played a role in, in her life and kind of how hard she pressed on us. And um, now I have my 11, 12-year-old looking to go to church. And um, the thing I love about church and anything like this is the community aspect, right? Mm -hmm. Is that why you, like, that is kind of what I'm trying to find. And I went to one church with them and while it looked like a really great community, it just wasn't my vibe. Like, Mm -hmm. it was a little bit too, um, I don't know, like I went in there and I'm like, oh, these people don't seem to like everybody. Like it, uh, it seemed very yeah. clear, like there was like they weren't accepting of everybody, and mm-hmm. I like and I had to explain that to my eleven year old after we went. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think we're gonna go back there because like they probably don't like certain people, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. so like we're continuing on our journey, and um, we're gonna try other churches. And and my rationale is like I want to have people that I can count on, mm-hmm. and um, we get them now out of like school, and we get them out of sports teams and we get them out of our gyms and i think everybody's found different ways to find this community in our society which is okay but i think there's like church has always provided this like very solid foundation for people's communities and like obviously you two found each other which is a a great example of it and i'm sure you have other people in your little community that 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 uh make this work so this is a long way to say like is that the most important part of that church aspect for you? A hundred percent. And, okay. you know, Ginny and I have both, if I could speak for Ginny, we've had this conversation and I think I'm probably a little bit more on the fence of, do I still even go? Because mm-hmm. I don't believe a lot of this stuff. So we go to an Episcopal church okay. and Episcopal Episcopals are like Catholic light kind of. Yeah, diet Catholic, I like to call it. Diet Catholic, yeah. Diet Catholic. I grew up Catholic too, so on Irish and Hispanic side. So yes, it's yeah. Go ahead, Amanda. But so, yeah, very, else has never really resonated with me. You know, we moved here. We were in Castle Rock, and I think what sealed the deal. We were got. We tried to go to a Catholic church, and what sealed the deal was we drove by one day, and there was like all these crosses, of like blue and pink, like babies, like baby crosses, and I was like, you know, and I've known friends who've had abortions, and I've yes. known how it's not an easy decision for people, right? right? Like there's mm-hmm. something, there's a lot of judgment and I don't think God, my God, of my understanding um, is not judgmental. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need to fear him, him, her, it, they, she, whatever. It's just a mm-hmm. spirit. Like I said, it's just energy. I just, it's just easy to say he and God or whatever, but yeah. um, I don't, mine does not shame. Mine does not judge. I don't need to fear him. I don't think I'm going to have this big, crazy judgment day. I think I am going to have a review. I'm very interested in the afterlife. I happen, I've read a lot about it. I, I, I have a connection, a, a strong connection, I believe, with spirit and the other side. And um, I, I, there is a review of sorts, but it's not like a, a damnation, right? Like, I think that religious people have sort of put the nail in their own coffin for lack of a better phrase because I actually posted something recently. I saw this shirt and it's a picture of Jesus. And it said, I never said that, you know, like one of my favorite shirts ever. <laughs> they've twisted, they've twisted. And back in the day, I mean, this has happened centuries ago, you know, for power and for control and for this kind of stuff. So I believe that God Jesus, even Jesus, you know, I feel weird even saying Jesus, but that like, 
has gotten a really bad rap because mm-hmm. of humans who have twisted it and contorted it to fit into what they how they want to control certain people. So I we went on, we called it church tour 2017. So <laughs> we've turned 2015, we were trying the, the Catholic church. And finally I was like, I'm just not going there anymore. Like I'm just not doing it. And uh, so we go on church tour 2017. We went to all, we were like completely open-minded. We went to all of them. Mm-hmm. Protestant. We went to Lutheran. We went to uh, the non-denominational ones. We, you know, we, we went to all these and we landed at the Episcopal church because the message is very aligned. It feels like with a lot of recovery principles, it's Thank just love, right? Love and light and understanding and accepting. We have a sign. All are welcome here. Um, the Episcopal church will do um, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. It depends by um, uh, parish by parish. You have to go through like a discernment process. Um, they will not speak out against abortion. They will not condone it. So mm-hmm. there it feels an our priest is married with children. Mm-hmm. You know, I think celibacy really just kind of does not make sense. And I don't know, is that not even in the Bible? Like, right. I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. So for a lot of those reasons, it feels comfortable to go there. And because I love our priests, I mean, with sermons, and it's always aligned with what I'm going through. It's crazy. Yeah. And he's just, he's just so just, just love and acceptance. And he called me recently. He's like, Hey, you know, I know you guys haven't been here a lot over the summer and I had a little note here to check in on you guys and you know, what's going on and blah, 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 blah. And I just told him, I said, straight up, I said, we're in like a discernment process to see like, you know, where we're at with what we believe. Like if this is not hundred percent aligned with what I believe, because I don't believe in all the scripture. I don't like Jenny. Did you hear today? We're talking about Adam and Eve. And of course, Eve. Everyone laughed. Eve is the bad one. Mm -hmm. Adam eat the apple. Yeah, no. it was a bit of a I don't even believe in that story at all. I don't believe in it at all. But if that story wasn't even true, why is Eve the bad one? Because the fact right. that they took all of Constantine, took all these, I don't know how this turned into a religious, we're not talking about Sprite anymore, but anyway. Um, <laughs> it's fine. This is how I like it to go. <laughs> Good. That's how we roll. Like Constantine, I heard like a long time ago, took out like reincarnation out of the Bible. He took out Mary Magdalene's Huge books. concepts. Huge concepts. And a lot of feminine influence yeah. and like what's that all about you know so i don't know I'm, I'm a little conflicted as well if i continue going to an institution but yes it's the community and we've actually backed out from some of the community too just because my kids are getting older they're busier with their own things and dance and singing and you know all this stuff that we do and um it just hasn't become as important or a necessity to find that community anymore yeah for me. so we've know. we've drawn to this particular church all so many of the same reasons Amanda's talking about on top of the fact that our our uh, priest is from Albuquerque which is random um but my husband is super uncomfortable with any kind of organized religion he grew up with a mom from Taiwan who was Buddhist and an Irish Catholic father from Boston and all of his father's side condemned everything about his mother she was a heathen and so were he and his brother mm-hmm. um it was bad from the time he was young, this was the response he got from any kind of organized religion. While his mom was this peaceful, hardworking person, practiced Buddhism, but they were made out to be these terrible people. So for him, he's he's very uncomfortable in any organized religion, but he's been fine with me creating that foundation. And he knows that I had a little bit of it with, with our kids. But the really cool thing, even speaking from his end, he can barely even walk into an organized you know, religion, any kind of place without feeling very tense and frustrated and angry and he doesn't feel that way at our church 
he comes for the holidays. He comes to the things. And he said, it's, I can walk in there. He said, and even though I know, they know I'm only there a few times a year. I never feel like Father Brian never makes me feel like, oh, wow, you decide to show up. Yeah. You know, that it's never that way. So that speaks volumes too, that somebody who's so uncomfortable in organized religion feels like he's welcome there as well. So same situation for me, smaller community, the community, there's a lot of outreach. Amanda and I both work with a um, one of the outreach programs that's called the Backpack um, Outreach, which we help get food together and deliver it to kids who depend on those school meals and don't get them on the weekends. So we help to organize and deliver that to a school for families in need here locally in Castle Rock. So there's a lot of outreach too um, with the church on top of the fact that it seems, Amanda, correct me if I'm wrong, but it really seems like the Episcopalians are very supportive of providing space for 12-step recovery um, type events. Yes. I Yes. There are other churches that won't. Like when they lost that one of the groups lost their their space and they went around to other churches in the neighborhood and they said no. Really? What? Episcopalians are all about like, oh, you're an alcoholic, it's cool. We'll let you use the space. <laughs> yeah, because all are welcome. Yeah. All are welcome. Yes. I'll I'll say that like the churches up by us are all really good about I so I live in New Jersey. I did I didn't I don't know if I told you, but I live in North Jersey. Um and uh you know, I've been here most of my life. We did live in Boston or the North Shore of Massachusetts for about four years or so. So, but most of my life has been spent in Northwest Jersey. And um, I will say that like all of our churches are very welcoming to 12-step groups. Um, I don't, you know, they're awesome. at every type of church. Um, I myself work in an organization and we have a cent- like a recovery center that uh, also hosts I think every just about every day we have some sort of group, be a twelve step or a smart program mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, so it's just it's it's a very open area in that way. Um, I don't know if it's just because we have, and I'm sure every area has like a huge problem, right? But like right now, it just seems that we have a lot of um, we've had a lot of opiate issues in in the county, and it's been that way for a while, and it's forever growing. So. I think it's just maybe in response to that, we are doing our best to to keep up with that. And um, even like my recovery center, you were mentioning the backpack program. We do that. We've done that there as well to try to help. And that's the stuff that I think is important in community is helping the other people. Like if our community is solid, then I feel like you're going to be able to put good people out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like if everybody's suffering in your community, it's really hard to have good people then going out into society right like if everybody's struggling it's it's so hard you're just like always kind of at that that breaking point every day you know it's just mm-hmm. like it takes everything to just get from whenever you wake up until whenever you go to bed you're like kind of just giving every bit of your energy to just surviving like if you can take away some of that that pressure that like a like a single mom feels right or like a family mm-hmm. that just like everybody lost their job or they're struggling with housing like if all that can just kind of go away through some help of your community, then all of a sudden, like you've made a change, that little part of the world is better. Like, how do we do that more? And I feel like it's in those things. But instead, like my community, like I said, is like built on like our travel baseball team, right? Mm -hmm. And that feels very sort of uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum, right? Like I'm paying thousands of dollars 
<laughs> to to have my kid play travel baseball or like you know dance or you know whatever these things are right we're paying tons of money to just go sit there and complain about like how bad it is i don't know it just like i always feel like my life is at this weird like the, in this weird way right like i'm like oh man this travel baseball like it sucks that i gotta travel so much or like you know and then meanwhile i'm like a couple days before like packing up lunch bags for for people mm -hmm. who don't have anything and it's like i always got to pull myself back and mm -hmm. go like oh remember that right like remember that and and um i've been lucky enough to kind of work in two worlds where i, I have my day job and then i have the recovery stuff i do and I think mm -hmm. the recovery portion does keep me somewhat grounded because I remember like, oh, it could be really, really bad, right? Like the the stress of the day job doesn't seem as bad. Um, but for me, the, the church thing is, is, and just, I think it's more just community. Um, yeah. and, and also my son wants to wear a cross earring. So I got to make that happen at some point. Uh, um, <laughs> I love that that's what caught, like that's what sparked this. Like I love that that is what sparked this. I wanted to mention, I actually lived in Sayreville for like a year and a half. Oh, Uncle yes. in Sayreville. Yeah. You know? yep. Sayreville. So when you said Jersey, I was like, oh, the 732, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the way you're talking about to your community, though, it's very, it's the reason why Albuquerque is very much in a way right now that's in this very heartbreaking devastating um fentanyl crisis opiate crisis alcohol crisis uh people dying just constantly on top of that the economy is not great lots of poverty um my husband and i have known probably i mean it's an insane amount of people but we've lost probably four to five just in a couple of years that have all been due to either accidental fentanyl overdose or alcohol related death um all people under the age of 50. Mm -hmm all people who you might have just looked at and it wasn't like you know the guy under the bridge with the paper bag this was like realtors teachers um former cops um you know like people in our society that are dying um, from these issues and who are struggling like you're saying there's this entire community of people losing loved ones um not being able to make enough money now not being able to afford to buy a home mm -hmm. of their own and um kind of no end in sight in that. So you're right. There's this, to me, we're, we're always talking. He even says, you know, we, we left, we took our kids out of that area because it was 50th in the country for education, all these things. But we often talk about what would, what would save it? What would fix it? What would start to turn that around? And it's exactly what my husband said. He's, you know, he's like, people are going to have to be at a point right now. Like you can't even trust anybody walking around because people are robbing each other for nothing because they're so addicted to whatever they're on. They'll bust your car window open on a Tuesday in daylight with mm -hmm. no fear. And he said the community is going to have to get back to a place where they're trying to help each other and realizing that this isn't all just some moral choice, you know, that, well, that dirtbag over there, you know, that addict, that's a criminal, put him in jail, that the problem stems really from a much different place and that it's going to take a community being willing to um, let their guard down and say, hey, how do we help people get better from this? disease not so much how do we incarcerate the criminal for longer because that's kind of the mindset they're in and it's yeah you can't you can't arrest yourself out of this problem like i don't know if people think that way but you can't do that like this isn't an arrest problem this mm -hmm. is a much deeper problem this is like the true despair like people are not you know 
people are not out there and and all of us like i know that everybody you know on this call right now kind of said like we drank to cover something up right like that was the basic of it right like there was something Mm -hmm. going on in our bodies in our heads that we needed to like calm down right like that so we drank and now people Mm -hmm. are doing that and then taking you know heroin or pills or fentanyl whatever it is right to like get rid of that feeling of despair and until we can help that, and it sounds like you guys talk about this on your show a lot, which is awesome. Like, wh- how do we, how do we help people out of that, right? Like, I, I drove. We were in Portland, Maine, a couple of weeks ago for Thanksgiving, and we drove by the homeless community. And I was talking to a relative up there, and it's like, there's a huge, huge homeless encampment. Like, it is. I was shocked at the size of it, right? And it's like, the city's kind of okay with it because there's no children there, you know. But like that's not okay. Like if you drive by that every day and you're just like, it's okay. Cause there's no kids like that. There should be more of like a, what can we do here? Like there is a real problem. Like people can't afford housing. They can't afford food, but why, why is that? Like, do they not have family? Is there a mental health? There obviously is a mental health crisis, but like, I don't know. I just feel like it's just, there's a ton of despair. Deaths of despair are, you know, alcohol-related, drug-related, suicide. Like, that number, the, the, the despair deaths is just, like, so bad. Um, and, it's, yeah. I meant to tell you I'm really sorry about the loss of your mom, too. I didn't get the chance to say that when you mentioned that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. I think it's always tough. I, I know for me, Amanda, I know I've heard other people in rooms talk about this, but it's always really hard to hear about those of us in recovery that it wasn't that we fell back into the addiction, but that you hear a lot of us taking our own lives. Yeah. Always tough to hear about somebody who's in recovery and then, you know, that's that they still were suffering in that way. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about it a little bit on my show. It's it in this one, it was a very complex issue. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've thought about it for, it happened in 2017. So I've had six years to think about it and I still mm-hmm. kind of don't know how to wrap my head around it. And, uh, and then a couple of years later I lost my brother. Um, I think probably right around the time that you lost your brother, Amanda, I'm not sure, but, um, it's just, it's hard when you lose people and, and, uh, you know that it, it is kind of because they weren't feeling comfortable in this world, right? right. Like mm-hmm. it, it, cause you know, there's days where I don't feel comfortable. I'm sure you still don't feel comfortable some days, right? Like we don't have it all figured out just because we, we are in recovery. Like it is hard. It is a hard place. This is a hard thing to do. And, but like we should help each other. And that's why, like I always tell people, give me a call. You know, I'm very honest about that. Like I'll talk, I'll I'll talk to anybody, you know, like I offer that up to anybody. Um, It's just a hard world. We're just living in a very, very difficult world. People who, there's all different ways of coping, yeah. you know, everybody's got something, Sure. you know, we just chose all on drugs, right. you know, it was the temporary bandaid for us. For some people it's okay. You know, well, again, the chaos is there, but it's scrolling, it's shopping, it's right. jumping in on the world's chaos, you know, just being like, Oh, let me jump in on, Oh yeah, this is awful. I'm going to jump in on that and get myself all amped up and angry. Yeah. Um, and we have so much of it. The world just feels like it's, Every, every day something new if you really want to you can be really enraged about or emotionally just toppled with how you can't believe this is happening <laughs> and they're realist they're they're real things so 
Yeah, yeah. like our own particular brand of, you know, hurting ourselves. It's like we take the pain out there and we turn it inward, right? Because yeah. any addiction is going to come back to hurt you in some way, right? right. Overeating, shopping turns to debt, right? Gambling yeah. turns to debt. I mean, anything, if you look at all this stuff, you know, chaos, creating chaos, bad relationships, difficult, you know, you don't like yourself, whatever it is. It's like we take that pain out there and then we turn it inward. I don't know, maybe for a sense of control. Like if I have to be in pain, I'm going to like inflict it on myself in some way. I don't, I don't know. Mom. But it's very, it's very, very difficult out there right now, for sure. It, yeah, it isn't an easy time. Um, and I'm sure that every person throughout the whole history of the world has said it's not an easy time, right? Like I'm not going to compare yeah. myself to somebody who was like having to hunt for food and you know that True. kind of thing but i mean like they were really really difficult times yeah it's always in a hard yeah. world i think you know i i always say this like at, at the highest level we have it really good right like i have air conditioning i have power i have running water like all those things are really quite good right now i think that we are at a point though where we can start to look at like the deeper stuff finally right because we don't have to worry about that i was just listening to mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. podcast and like uh, it was Dak Shepard and I forget who he was talking to, but anyway, he was, his guest was saying that like, we're at a point now where like the difference between like, uh, somebody who had like, has like wealth and then like, doesn't have wealth. Isn't that big? Like both of us have cell phones, right? We both probably, you know, have access to cars. Like for the most part, like there's a, everybody's very similar at this point in time, which is to say that things have really improved. But now we're starting to focus on these other areas, um, mm. you know, and I think that's where it gets really hard, right? Like mm. that's, that's where those little differences come out and we're all sort of like, well, I like it this way and you like it that way. How do we solve that problem? Like it, it becomes such a small, like we're arguing very, mm. like very difficult things, you know? Yes. And, and I think that that's the problem with humanity. We're yeah. really yeah. getting much deeper than, than just having to survive, right? Because like yeah. you were saying before, you just have to survive. That's all there is. You're not thinking about anything else, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. now the opportunity to go much deeper. And I like to remind people that like, think about how long humanity has been around. Like go back to like the Egyptians 4,000 years ago. Yeah. And something, I mean, and this is even further back, but like from civilized sort of humanity. Yeah. You know, we've only really been like addressing and fighting for human rights, civil rights, all this kind of stuff, fairness, equality. I don't know, since maybe the 18, mid 1800s, like it's really been like a, like a thing where like people probably like even still, yeah, that's probably even, yeah, I think we're even closer to art. Like when we were like, when I was born, right? Like, I mean, yeah, back in so this country, you know, the 50s, yeah, in the fifties, it was awful, yeah. right? Like it was yeah. an awful time. And, and like, we yeah. still live with people who, you know, were alive then and They'll hold mm -hmm. those views and, you know, that mm -hmm. that's still around. And, like, that is that generational kind of nonsense that we're all still dealing with. Um, if you think about the time frame of 4,000 yeah. years ago to even, like, I'm being generous here, giving it, like, 200 years. Yeah. Right. Not, and if, if it's even less, if 70 years, 80 years, whatever, it's on the spectrum of life and humanity and how long we've been around, we've made great strides in a very short amount of time. So even yeah. though it's not good enough, you know, we have so much more to go, so much more work to be done. I like to remember and I like to remind people that we're making fantastic progress. They just don't talk about that on the news no. because that's no, doesn't sell. That's not exciting. We like, no. we like the trouble. We like to get the blood boiling. We like the chemical drop. We like all that. Well, the, the other thing, 
the other thing too is like we've all been hyper be, be been able to be hyper aware of all of it because of like social media right like it wasn't like that when we you know back when i was in high school like i didn't know anything right like i was kind of just oblivious and which was fine um but now you you're aware of like these these issues that come up daily and they're right there in your pocket and you can like you said you can pick up your phone and be angry in a second i mean it's just mm -hmm. it's there and it's there's some positives i you know mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more negatives. I have a very hard relationship with all of it. I, I yeah, us too. yeah, there is some good stuff because I mean, like you said, like we're, 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 we have more access to information. So like word is spreading quickly, right? People mm -hmm. are awakening spirituality, whatever it is, you know, that is actually health and wellness is for meditation is becoming mm -hmm. more extreme. Like people have access to how to do these things. Right. But ultimately I believe too, it's more negative than positive. Yeah. Right that now. Is I think so. Right. Yeah. I tell Amanda, well, we talk about this, we've talked about it on our show as well, but it, it almost feels like, you know, because even our, our physical bodies, when we're talking about, you know, civilization as it started, in terms of what our DNA does and like our body and the functioning of it all and the survival and all of that, we haven't had a whole lot of like upgrades. It's all pretty, it's the physical part of what we do in our brain. We've developed and all of that, but the physical hardwiring is very similar to whatever it was, is it, you know, from way back when, when we still needed, when life was shorter, when we were focused on survival, all those things. So there's often times right now where Amanda and I talk about how some of our reactions to things back in the day, if your adrenaline was pumping, it's because a lion was chasing you and you'd mm -hmm. save your life. Well, we don't have to run from lions anymore. But yet there's, you know, we find these other ways or these other things become like the lion chasing us. And maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be right, but it's because our, our brains are evolving, you know, we're getting to the point where, because we don't have those, like you're saying, we don't have those survival things quite as much anymore. And now because of that, there's parts of maybe that are our spirits or our spirituality that I think we're starting to see come to the surface where that maybe is having an opportunity to evolve. Um, and we can work with that hardwiring we have and maybe tell ourselves like, okay, I don't necessarily need to be addicted to all the chaos and the, the anger and the everything that is taking my attention. Cause the, and you know, social media, everything else, they know that if they can get us hooked in and they have our attention some point or another, that all creates a dollar, whether that be someone's viewing, you know, your material or the news or whatever it is, our attention is the currency these yeah. days. Yeah, it and is. It really, really is. Well, I, I know we're coming up on, on time and I don't want to keep you both like all night. Um, but I did, I did also a big part of my podcast at the end is always talking about what people like in media, um, music, TV, books, anything mm -hmm. like this. Um, and I, I typically give mine at the end. So I don't know who wants to jump in first with, uh, Anything that you've been watching or listening to? Anything catching your your ear? Um, Amanda? You go first, or... Amanda. I don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Um, I really just listen to music. Um, and um, I'm a humongous Pearl Jam fan. I'm like a hardcore, like sleep on the sidewalk to get the rail Pearl Jam fan. <laughs> um, and since this is a Sober by Design podcast, um, I wanted to tell you the song that that helped me in my recovery and still helps me in my recovery. Um, it's called Inside Job. Mm -hmm. 
and I was at um, one of my first meetings, and I think it was the first, and uh, the guy talking said, the attitude adjustment is an inside job. And at that point, it clicked. I was like, wow, I'm just not like a girl who likes to have fun, and when I drink, I can't stop. Like This has to do with my attitude. I'd been listening to a Pearl Jam album that came out in 2006. I listened to that for a few months before, and um, Inside Job, the song Inside Job, I was like, oh my gosh, it's about recovery. <laughs> I went out in my car, and I sat down, and I just put I just put the song on, and I just bawled, and I bawled, and I knew that it was over. I just I just knew that if I kept doing what I was told to do, that that these people could help me, you know, um, and that and I was like, well, you know, and it's not any better. He did, he didn't write it. Another another band member um, wrote the lyrics and the music to the song, and um, he's also in recovery. And um, I was like, if this guy can, you know be sober in that rock and roll world, you know, then, then maybe I can, I can do that. And if, because he is, maybe I want to, maybe I want to be in that sort of world. And, uh, that, that, that saved me. And then again, after my brother died, I was at a, I was at a crossroads where I was, it was really, it was bad. I was back in New York. I was getting everything ready for the funeral and I was sitting in the parking lot of CVS and it was raining and the bar I used to work at was down the block. And I was considering going and drinking because I was like, maybe I could, my sick brain told me, um, maybe you'll feel closer to him mm. if you go there and where you used to sit with him and he was the bartender and I would drink and, um, you know, whatever. And, and, I just, I knew that song saved me before. So I put it on again and I just was like, just reach out to somebody, Amanda. And I just, I did it. And uh, I, I don't know, texted or called or whatever, but I passed, started the car, went back to my mom's house and that was it. Um, so that song, if anybody's out there who's um, trying to get sober or just, you know, just want enjoy the song or just want, needs a little extra oomph in, in their recovery right now um, and to remind yourself of why you're doing this um go play inside job by pearl jam so that's my recommendation was that uh mike or jeff that wrote that one i'm not gonna say okay i'm gonna have to look it up (laughs) (laughs) you can find it easily but i respect them so much that i'm going to respect their anonymity yeah i'll have to look that up um you're a pearl jam fan you know Uh i uh yeah i mean i had my pearl jam moment we um I saw them on Randall's Island actually when they were in their Ticketmaster. We don't like Ticketmaster phase. Was and, it nineteen ninety five? Yeah, it was ninety five. Yeah. My friend, they stopped the concert. Um, I don't know how many nights they played, but one night, my friend Joanna, Ginny, I don't know if you met Joanna. You would love Joanna. Um, she was getting like trampled. We were fifteen. I wasn't there. Yeah. She was. She was like getting like trampled. Like she was in the in the pit. Yeah. And he stopped the show. And he stopped the show. And had. Wow. I bring her to the side. It was rough. That was a rough show. That was a whole rough experience. Um, I just, you know, again, like complaining maybe about privilege, but I had to like go to Yankee Stadium to get tickets because of the whole no Ticketmaster thing. And mm-hmm. then come back to New Jersey to get everybody to go back to Randall's Island. It was oh. like, you know, it was a very, uh, like I, I'm very impressed. I respected what oh, they yeah. were doing, um, with the Ticketmaster thing, but it was just at that time we weren't really ready for that. You know, it was like yeah. technology yeah. wasn't quite caught up to the, the, the protest. Tickets um, have always been an issue. I stopped being a 10 club member for a bunch of years. I am now again, but yeah. because it didn't even help trying to get tickets. It was really annoying. Right. I mean, Eddie was trying to like make a point to get it. He yeah. was like, you know, screw you guys. Like you're not going to pull all this and take the money, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. But so I respect it, but it was, 
did make it hard. Yeah, very hard. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Ginny, what's your what's your media take this this uh, this week? <laughs> oh my gosh, this week, right? Yeah, I don't really watch a ton of TV either. I end up listening to like a lot of different YouTube people. Like I find myself here listening to people um, that do podcasts. You know, I of course like I enjoy listening to Jay Shetty. I enjoy listening to God, there, there's a bunch of people that it ranges it's, i think if someone grabbed my phone they'd be like what is this girl listening to because it's things from like you know health and wellness to sobriety to you know some people talking about like 5d ascension i've got this whole the whole gamut uh but in terms of that i listen to quite a bit you know podcast people on youtube but also um i've been finding here lately too just getting into the frequency of music and how that shifts and changes how I feel and how it can give me this instant, almost uh, calming effect, right? If I'm if I'm doing something. And one of the bands that I stumbled across that I have fallen in love with is called Kruangbin. They're a, a three-person band. Um, they're all based out of Texas, but it's a female bass player and this amazing drummer and this incredible guitar player. And they are just some of the tightest musicians. They, but they're, they're very influenced by music from all over the Middle Eastern music and they take from music in South America and they love listening and finding these gems from all around the world and then incorporating and learning from those styles and turning that into their material. They're incredible to watch live. Uh, I mean, and I'm talking live on YouTube because that's what I've seen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I That's one of my goals is to see them live. But I listening to them and what they create and what they do together um, just really puts me, uh, it almost feels like the music is from a different time, uh, but it's recently written music, but they're incorporating all these different vibes to it. So I have loved it. I can listen from beginning to end any of their albums or any of the live music. And I am just able to feel very calm and, um, I don't know. I just enjoy it a lot. So yeah, Krong Bin, I couldn't say it forever. It um, it's K H R U A N G. Oh, yeah, Krongbin. I've seen them on the spectrum. I never What's knew how to pronounce that. The spectrum. I listened to Sirius Oh my gosh, they're so good, and it's really cool because the bass player and the guitar player they they always wear this these wigs that are a little you know like it hides their identity a teeny bit, hmm. but it's all their stage performance. So it's like that's the only time you see them in these wigs, but just kind of hearing their story and their passion about having music influence them from other parts of the world. And yeah, just kind of the way you, f I feel after listening to it every time, um, it sparks creativity for me and it sparks just a sense of like, ah, oh, this is amazing. So yeah, Krongbin, I would highly recommend listen to one of the, like, what was one of the videos that's on YouTube too? I think, Oh, uh, best kept secret, okay. which is a music festival. Look at their best kept secret performance and that'll give you a good idea of what they do all right i'm gonna look yeah. at that um so i say it every week it's hard for me to come up with new stuff every week but um i this friday uh my wife and i got a chance to go to uh, woodstock new york we live it's probably like two hour drive a little bit less than two hours from where we live um and for those of you who don't know, Woodstock did not take place in Woodstock. So mm -hmm. I've been to Bethel Woods a bunch, which is where Woodstock actually took place. And there's a museum there and you can go and it's super cool. And, and being at that place is, is neat. But Woodstock, the town, is also super neat. 
Um, and in Woodstock is Levon Helm's uh, studio. Uh, Levon Helm was in the band, the band. And um, so he has his, well, he's passed, but his daughter still runs the studio and a barn and they, they have concerts. And it was, so we got to go there this Friday and we saw a band, Blind Pilot. They're from the Pacific Northwest. I know who they are. Yeah. I saw your shirt. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, super chill. Um, and um, we have we saw them at Newport Folk Fest, and they kind of took a hiatus. They weren't really touring, and they did some stuff in, like, Seattle, or that area, but we would never fly to see them um, just because we don't have that kind of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so it was really good to see them, and we got to hear some of their new music that they're recording. So that was super fun so i'm just gonna say blind pilot just go check them out on spotify super good and um i'm gonna throw it out there again i've I've thrown it out there like four times but we finished season two of the bear the the tv show the bear which is about um a chef so jeremy allen white who was in the show shameless who i really like and i liked shameless quite a bit um but we watched the final episode of the bear and i thought that like the most intense episode was behind me, but um, the last episode was just as intense in a different way. So um, really good TV, uh, really good character development um, and good music. Eddie Vedder's all over that soundtrack. Um, really? Yes. Awesome. Yes. What, 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 like streaming, what channel? Where do you, uh, where do you watch it, it? I think it's on Hulu. It's FX. It's an FX show. Um, it's on Hulu. Um, And, uh, yeah, the soundtrack is like really dialed in, um, REM is all over it, uh, which made me pick up, I'm, I'm I was a huge REM fan, um, and still am, but, um, I was my funeral song, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) At my funeral, Corey, if you wind up at my funeral for some reason, you and Ginny, Uh you need to get, you need to play the song, you need to get everybody to stand up and they need to hold hands and they need to picture me there and that i'm like in heaven and that they're with me there you go and we're gonna make them dance it's <laughs> only if you die before me yeah. you have to stand up you have to hold hands okay so, we could do that but so i'm gonna make people dance too <laughs> definitely if you do nothing else check out the soundtracks that are on spotify for the bear because it is it's a lot of music if you if you like eddie vedder if you like pearl jam it's it's that kind of music awesome. um it made me pick up a uh, monster the REM album Monster again, because like there's a lot of stuff from that uh, album that was on the soundtrack. So cool. that's uh, awesome. Thanks he, for letting, letting us know. Yeah. I actually just started watching, um, we only got two in, two episodes in, because um, like I'm the type of person where, like I have to like force myself to watch TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you very rarely hear that, right? Like everybody wants to stop watching so much TV. Like I want to watch TV. Um, All the Light You Cannot See on yeah. Netflix. Remember that, that mm-hmm. uh, book? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've only watched a couple episodes, but I'm always amazed at shows that can have very little like scene changes and very few characters and still be really, really good. Yeah. You know, that's so far. I mean, we've only watched a few, so I don't know if it gets more complex, but it just seems the music, the whole, the whole deal of it is it's very it's good. Okay, I'm liking. I'll have to check that one out again. We just finished season two, so now we're kind of. I had to take a break. I, I'll just yeah. tell you that, like, if you do watch that show, like, pace yourself. They're intense episodes. It's heavy. What is it about? It's about a chef. Um, but, like, it touches on all sorts of, like, heart issues. So there mm-hmm. are issues around sort of, like, family trauma and um, drinking and 
suicide and and just sort of that that pressure cooker uh like of of being the best at something mm-hmm. um and they're just intense so like some nights i would watch one episode and look at my wife and go like i'm done like i can't do any more like that was way too much we'll we'll revisit this in a couple nights so it was a very like slow go for me um mm. I think I don't watch a lot of TV because if I have time to do it, it's before bed and I get disturbed very easily. Yeah. Yeah. Don't watch this at night. I won't watch <laughs> not do that. We watched The Social Dilemma at night. That that show, Social Dilemma on Netflix, yeah. kept me up, literally kept me up that night. Yeah. Scary. That's yeah. That, that was a tough one. That's a good one that people should watch too because I think it touches on the, all what we were just talking about before. Yeah. It's like if you don't take that to heart, I don't know what you're doing. Like that one mm-hmm. really kind of hit me hard too. Yeah, the whole like how it's messing with like our biology and all that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you both very much for being on the show. It was great. Um, and I hope that my listeners pop over to Soul Rising. And I will make sure that the links are in the notes and um, everything that we talked about. Um, you know, I just I can't thank you enough for being open and honest on the show. Like that's all I look for on this. So it was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It's so great to meet you. It's so cool, this whole journey, like to meet people. Do you know I talk about that a lot? Like all these connections we're making and like finding each other on like similar wavelengths. So, and thank you for the work that you're doing, Corey. Very important. Yeah, well, thank Thank you so much, Corey. It's been awesome being here today. And yeah, keep keep up the great work that you're doing. We appreciate it greatly. And thanks for letting us be a part of what you're doing. Great. Well, we will uh, talk to everybody next week. Thanks a lot.